This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Otson Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this show. Breaking down National Signing Day, the second day. Um, one player commits to Oregon on signing day. We've spoken with Dan Lanning, who couldn't speak about said one player because he hasn't, he hasn't gotten his paperwork in and it hasn't been processed, or both. Um, but we got a lot of information from Dan just on the scope of the class as well as the program. Spring football starts here in a couple months, uh, end of March, mid-March. Um, but let's go to what happened if you missed it. Um, there were three guys that we were tracking going into signing day. Uh, Nicholas Harbor, a five-star athlete, the number one ranked athlete in the country. He committed to South Carolina over Oregon after it looked like Oregon was potentially going to be the school, uh, which would have been interesting. Um, the Ducks then, a couple di- uh, minutes later, landed Roderick Pleasant, a four-star top 100 cornerback. Um over USC, Cal, UCLA, and Boston College. Uh, and then Deuce Robinson, the number one ranked tight end in the country, has decided he will not sign today and needs more time. Um, Eric, your biggest takeaway from the three-player three announcement that we were watching today. Well, the Harbor thing was, I made the joke on the site, Wil, you know, Steve Wiltfong has kind of uh, marketed his little recruiting updates as Wiltfong's whip around. This was like a true Wiltfong whip around of like, he was, and I'm not even blaming Steve at all, because this is how crazy recruitments are, but Steve's updates over the last 24 hours, if you weren't, if you're not like a diehard recruitment who's sitting on your phone and your computer all day on Duck Territory, on various recruiting sites, I know some of you listening are, and you're, and, and you get it with me, but I'll just follow like, Steve was telling South Carolina fans yesterday afternoon that he thought he was headed there. And then by the end of the night, it was Oregon. And then by this morning, it was who knows. And then right before he announced his uh, commitment and eventual signing with South Carolina, Wilt Fong eventually puts in a crystal ball for the Gamecocks about probably 15, 20 minutes before uh, he initially or he officially announced. So, I mean, this was just down to the wire. And I think the way I look at this class now a little bit, and I, I do want to say, I think it's an awesome class. I, you guys will remember me being quite critical on like the first National Signing Day Eve of just being like, I don't know if they have the star power. Um, they ended up shoring up some of that. I think Roger Pleasant helps. Obviously, what they did uh, on Signing Day back in December helped. But gosh, were they close on some of these things. I mean, I, I think that was one of the things I was messaging you guys with just, you know, kind of in the the minutes after the Harbor thing of just think how close they were with three extra five stars that they didn't land. Because mm-hmm. the question every year is how many five stars can Oregon land? And everybody's like, can they get four or five? And we're always like, ah, that just seems ludicrous. Well, they end up with two in this uh, in, in this cycle. Well, I guess Mateo got downgraded. One. So I guess technically yeah, he got, only one. Yeah. 
Um, so they only end up with one this cycle, but gosh, they were so close with three other ones. I mean, we all know the Dante Moore situation. He was locked in for the majority of the cycle, flips to UCLA shortly before signing day. Peyton Bowen announces his commitment to Oregon and then ends up signing with Oklahoma. So, I mean, that one is literally as close as you could get. And then Harbor, again, like national recruiting experts were saying it was Oregon up until the last minute. I mean, literally 15, 20 minutes before he announces it was, it looks like it's probably going to be Oregon. And, and then it ends up being South Carolina. So uh, I don't want to be too reductive at all. Cause I think this class is really strong. We'll get to some of the reasons why in a moment, but it is one of those kind of what a what could have been. There's some what ifs in this class that I think are going to be kind of hard to overlook, depending upon how Harbor, Moore, and, and Bo end up performing as college players at their at their various schools. Yeah, I think one of my biggest takeaways, I guess, from the entire signing cycle, including early day, early signing day, and and today, um, you know, location is always a factor. It comes and hurts Oregon once again. Um, Eric talks about the three, except for Dante Moore, who ends up committing to UCLA. Uh, Peyton Bowen's from Texas. He stays. He goes to Oklahoma, which is close enough. Um, and Harvard is from Washington, D.C. and goes to South Carolina, which is close enough. Um, I think distance does play a lot into it. I've talked about this on the podcast before, how the state of California um, just didn't produce the same level of talent outside of skill positions uh, this year as they have in the years past. I mean, most I mean, some of the top the top two players in California are both quarterbacks. Uh, you know, three of the top 10 were quarterbacks. You can't, so that's three spots immediately that you can't double up on. You can't take two quarterbacks in a recruiting class. So, I th but still Oregon lands three or four of the top 10 players in the state of California, depending on the top two, four, seven or the 24, seven composite. Um, even in a down year, that's still really damn good. And I think this class is really damn good. It's disappointing. I would say that Oregon didn't land Harvard just because of what was going on behind the scenes. And, um, I guess the 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 rumor mill and and all the all that stuff going on, but and I, I also just wanted to see him. I wanted to see him run track more than anything else because it's absurd what that kid can do at his size and speed. Um, but Roderick Pleasant is no like consolation prize. That's a good player, six foot one cornerback. I think that's the thing that Oregon has been missing the most in their cornerbacks recruiting this cycle is some height with that speed. We want to talk about how fast Nicholas Harbor is. Roderick Pleasant is faster. And I know that he is, he's smaller than, than Nicholas Harbor, but you know, he still runs a 10, 11, 100 meter dash. And that's damn impressive. And this entire podcast for, for most of the season, we talked about how, wow, man, Oregon's defense just isn't quick enough laterally or, you know, vertically North South. Well, they've added through the speed and, and Dan, we'll talk about this later, but Dan mentioned that as a huge highlight of this class is the speed that they produced in this, in this 23 class. So I think they're, reloading and getting guys on the roster that they have. And I think this is a, a tremendous start with the number eight class in the country now. Yeah, I, I, I'd asked him just from his perspective, where did the program get better? And he cited speed right away. And then the second thing was size. And then he said specifically in the trenches that they got bigger um, on both sides of the football. Uh, and then he pointed out that they – we're able to keep the West Coast talent on the West Coast. And I think it's important to note that when Mario Cristobal left that Oregon, like they, they were the school in Southern California. He, he prided the program. He prided himself that the program would do well there. And they, under Land Landing, they've signed four of the top 10 best players in California this season. That's the most USC signed three 
Um, and it came down to Roderick Pleasant. And he picked Oregon basically over USC. Uh, so Oregon continues to make inroads out West. He talked about how important that is to keep the talent out West home. Um, because like you guys have said, like distance matters and it's hard to recruit all the, you know, the top talent, the farther you get away from wherever you're located. And that's ultimately what it feels like what it came down to when Eric brought up the misses of Peyton Bowen, Nicholas Harbor, David Hicks. I mean, it, it can go even further with a couple of uh, guys like Richard yeah. Young. That distance played a factor. Oregon was that number two school for almost all of those guys. Um, and can or can Oregon overcome that? I think eventually, you know, it's probably going to be something that you need to string together some conference championships. You need to get to the college football playoff. You need to make some wins to where you see that, you know, Oregon's landing these five-star prospects from all over the country, not just the West Coast. Like, I don't have this data immediately in front of me, but how many commits has Oregon signed that are five-star guys that have come from outside the West Coast footprint? Is there one? I don't think so. Uh, historically? Historically. Well, Lake Seastrunk was from Texas. I know that off the top of my head. So there's there's the one I can think of. Uh, but yeah, you're true. you're definitely right in terms of like we could easily There's pull it up. Sea Strunk and Dante Manning. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I was gonna say, and then I thought there was another one recently, and yeah, it was Manning. So yeah, no, but you're right in terms of like the success has been with. I mean, and and, and that isn't exactly breaking news here, but no, I think I think you're exactly right, and I think I think that is the hard part, and um, you know, you could parse through all the recruitments. So I'm sure there's more to it than just distance, but at the end of the day. Eugene, Oregon is never going to be closer to Washington D.C. or to to the Dallas Fort Worth area or to Detroit than it is. Like you just can't. There are certain things that you can't change, and that geography is one of them. So, Oregon, you know, in, to a certain degree here with some of these recruitments, has to do probably almost a little bit more than the other schools to to, to at least the schools that are more regional to win some of these battles. But I I I don't want to spend too much time, and I I, I always feel bad. The first thing I talked about was how close they were and, and kind of the misses. I also just want to acknowledge, I think this is a, a really strong class. And I, I think with Pleasant in particular, I don't know if we want to do too much player evaluation, but <clears throat> I mean, as Jared said, 10, one, four in the hundred, I think 20 point, I think 24 in the, in the, uh, in the two, uh, those are blazing times <laughs> and, and it shows up on, on tape. I just did the little film review. You can check it on duck territory. Um, turns out the guy's fast, regardless of if he has the ball or not. Uh, when he has the football as a kick returner, like right away, I, I look at him and think this feels like it could be a Mikhail Wright situation where maybe he's, you know, kind of outside of the, the main corner comp, you know, starting group and kind of in that con contributing group. But he could be your day one kickoff returner or someone in that character. I mean, you watch him, at, uh, you know, d down in Southern California and, and the way he plays on, on tape. I mean, he leaps off the screen with that explosiveness and that speed and, uh, you know, le legitimately one of those guys who once he finds uh, that crease and plants and goes, like you just aren't going to be able to catch him. And I think that sort of speed translates to regardless of the level you're playing at. Um, you know, maybe in the NFL there are, are, are more players suitable to catch up. But out in the Pac-12, like he's going to be faster than almost everybody on the field every game. And he'd be faster mm -hmm. than almost everybody on the field regardless of where he was collegiately just because with that kind of speed. So no, I, I, I think the pleasant addition – 
is a big one. And it's also a big one because, as Matt said earlier, you're battling USC here. And to, to beat USC heads up for a kid in their backyard. We talk about geography. Geography doesn't hurt Oregon as much in this instance, but it could. And for years it did against USC in head-to-head battles of it was really hard to pull a kid specifically out of this sort of a high school, um, you know, where, where it has been an SC pipeline where you're right down there, you know, within driving distance of, of their campus. So uh, I, I think this is a really big win. And, and in terms of just kind of his immediate impacts, like I, I would say I wouldn't anticipate he starts or is probably even in the too deep year one. Maybe he battles and gets there. But this is a guy who I think can help you on special teams. And in a couple of years from now, you, you could look up and see him as a starter. Like I, I, I don't want to draw him too close to Mikhail, right? But I just, there are some similarities in terms of the size and kind of the physical makeup. Both players, 5'11", about 180 pounds coming out of high school. Um, yeah. Similar recruiting ranking profiles. The speed there, the differentiator is that Mikhail, right? I think, did he, got, did he get slower? I have no idea what happened with that guy. But I thought as when he was returning kicks as a freshman and, and breaking, taking those to the house, I was like, this guy runs like 4'4". And then I think he went out and ran like, what, 4'6", or something like that? Uh, that was the reason he was like a NFL upper four fives. Yeah, was it? yeah. He he ran. It was a slow time to kind of go like, oh, that was I thought a strength. So anyway, not to go down too much there, but I, I, I certainly think you have to be really excited with with this ad. Yeah, the Austin and, and Pleasant additions. I know that Roger Pleasant isn't officially signed yet, but I'm hoping that it's not a Peyton Bowen situation. It reminds me a little bit of of Demo and Thomas Graham when they joined at Oregon, just because of those two Southern California cornerbacks who are both big big four star recruits. It's interesting how close Dalen Austin and uh, uh, Roderick Pleasant are in terms of their recruiting rankings, because they're like right next to each other. But it reminds me a little bit of that because they're, I think they're both going to be guys who play immediately. I don't know if I, don't, I doubt they start, but I think that they're going to play. I think that there's just going to be enough playing time for those guys to, to get in there and, and kind of make and carve out their own role, whether it be special teams, um, whether it be like a third down and long package. Uh, I just think that their speed and their length and their athleticism are going to be – it feels like it's something that's not really on the roster for Oregon, at least behind Bridges, Kyrie Jackson, and Dante Manning, um, despite the fact that, uh, you know, Avante Dickerson was a highly rated recruit and Julio Florence and Julio Tucker are both there. Um, I think that these guys could carve out a role. I think it's going to be really fun to watch these two guys go against the two Jaleels and see who picks up maybe that fourth cornerback spot um, behind Jackson and Manning and Bridges, like I mentioned. Um, yeah, I just I, I think both the, both of those additions are huge, and I think the Pleasant one obviously helps the class. Um, it may not have been what what every Oregon fan had wanted in terms of a national signing day, but it's still a, a damn good class from Dan. Uh, it's only a second year in the program. It's the second highest class that Oregon has had behind the 21 class from Mario. Uh, I think it just squeaked out the 2019 class from, from my, my article, which you can read on Duck Territory. Um, that's pretty good. And they're bringing in 39 dudes now. 39. It's an absurd amount of players. But that's, that's what you get with a, with a new coach. I had one thing really quick, Matt, on the historical element here of the – I was just looking up the all-time commits for corner. Oregon has four of their highest-rated – top nine, I should say, highest-rated corners on this roster, Manning being the five-star, and then uh, Pleasant, Austin, and Dickerson being the next group. And then six of their top 12, if you include Tucker and Florence, which are number 11 and 12 on the all-time list. So – uh, th- this year's corner room, I know that that's a, a position of some concern. 
from a pedigree perspective, there's a lot of talent on this roster at corner. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that, you know, back on the first signing day, um, early on in the morning before all the fireworks started, there was kind of some like disappointment because one of the things that happened that day was Caleb Presley, Oregon's top rated cornerback flipped to Washington. And this is why you don't really judge everything until everything is finalized. And the signing class pretty much finalized now. Caleb Presley is with UW, but he's outside the top 200. Oregon would still love to have that guy. No doubt about it. Um, top, He's the 214th best player. He's the 24th best cornerback in the country. Um, Oregon has also upgraded at that position after his departure. Dalen Austin, um, a four-star cornerback from Long Beach, he is signed with Oregon. Um, and he is rated – I just had him. Now I can't find him anymore. Um, there he's he is. Like he's the 116th best player, the 12th best cornerback in the country. Uh, and now you add Roderick Pleasant to that, and you've got the 91th best player in the country and the ninth best cornerback. So you've gotten two guys who are significantly higher rated than Caleb Presley. That's why you know recruiting is crazy. It's always fluid. Things change. And something that could look like a negative can be quickly turned around into a positive. Um, cornerback room, we've all said it here. You know, they lacked something this season, and they've gone out and they've landed two of the best corners uh, in that in that position group. This kind, you know, for this cycle, which is a pretty big deal. Um, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, there we got a lot of information from Dan beyond just recruiting. Uh, he couldn't talk to, about Pleasant, but we got a lot of stuff on Chris Hampton, the new, the new coach there, as well as some of the additions from a transfer portal. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that coming up next here on, on the Austin Autobus podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audible's podcast. Um, it was a, what, 15 or so minute conversation with Dan Lanning. Wish we had a little bit more. Um, there was a lot to get to, but he did speak at length about a couple of other like non-recruiting signing day topics, which included... Um, the addition of Chris Hampton. Yeah, no, I was the one to ask about this because uh, I, you know, there's been so much that's happened since we spoke with him last down in, I think San Diego was the last media opportunity uh, just to kind of get a feel for why Hampton was the guy. And, you know, it does, it sounds like he and Dan have 
a history of some kind uh, away from football in terms of just time spent. You know, this is somebody he has a, a relationship with. That's like a really significant one based on what he had to say. But ba- basically everybody that he spoke with about Hampton kind of raved about who he was and, and kind of what kind of a coach he could be and the success he's had speaks for itself at every stop. And, you know, that was a pretty darn quick, I think, uh, pounce on that hire once. Not, not, not that it happened immediately, but I think once they kind of locked in and, and kind of identified where they wanted to go with it. So um, I think certainly one of the things you come away with today feeling is just a sense that Lanning, again, has built his staff around guys that he trusts and believes in and guys that have proven track records um, basically everywhere they've been. Yeah, I think it was a huge hire. I mean, this is a guy who helped t- turn around Tulane's defense the last two years as defensive coordinator. Uh, he spent the one season during the COVID, the, the COVID year at Duke, immediately turns around and helps Tulane and their secondary become one of the better, excuse the sirens in the background. I, uh, there's a lot What'd of stuff you do? going on apparently. Um, I don't, you, you, you guys don't want to know. Okay. Nobody does. Um, there's a lot of, good Lord. I might flip it over to Matt until these guys pass. Yeah, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just thought, like, he talks a lot about relationships. Um, he, he he talks about the energy that he wants the program to have. And you you see the interview that Chris Hampton had um, with Joey Mack, the in-house radio broadcast that they do. Uh, you hear what Dan talked about there as well with, with regards to Chris and he checks kind of all those boxes and um, interesting enough. They're like very similar in age. I think they're both 36, 37 years old. Hampton said he got the job offer um, on like a Saturday and Monday morning he was on a flight. He, he cleaned his office out in Tulane. He was on a flight West to get to Eugene to start his job and, Dan said it made it became very clear early on that like that was the guy. And I wish we could have known like how many guys that they were targeting, but you look at Hampton's track record, you look at where he's where he's been, the success he's had, you know, you, you know that if this is the guy, you know, you had to be a pretty darn good coach to to be in the mix. I'm back. I finally got You're back. no more sirens. Uh oh, yeah, seen it ox on the front door, Jared. Uh, no, not yet. And I'm hoping that that stays that way. Um, you know, this Hampton is a guy who turned around a two-lane secondary, which I think was a huge issue, obviously, with Oregon this past season and just their past coverage. And it's not going to get any easier in the Pac-12 when you consider the fact that, you know, all the, all the quarterbacks who were good last year return. Um, like four of the top 12 or top 10 quarterbacks in this year's recruiting cycle are coming to the West Coast as well. Might be five now with Jaden Rashada at Arizona State, which was a, another signing day thing that is interesting, but we, we're not going to talk about it here. Um, this is a guy who works with uh, but the lesser talent on the paper than guys at bigger schools in terms of the three or four or five stars that Oregon has and maybe the, the guys who aren't as highly rated on Tulane and turned him from a, a defense that was in like the 120s for uh, passing yards allowed per game and dropped them down in the 50s and the 40s. There's um, a guy who's a, just a good overall coach. I think it's important that he's a co-DC in this case. Um, there's just a lot a lot more eyes in the football, and I think that that's what, something that Dan Lanning preaches where um, he, wants as much, he wants as many opinions as possible to know that they're doing the right thing. 
Uh, and I think that what Ham Hampton brings from a from a smaller school, from a more intimate experience at Tulane, uh, I think is going to pay big dividends off for for Dan and company. Um, and like Matt said, this is just another guy who's in his mid thirties, I and mean, his staff is just going to continue to be um, younger and seemingly more energetic and and on on time and on key with with things that are going on uh, that are closer to recruits' age. Um, so I think it's an overall great hire. Um, we'll have to see how he recruits. I'm not worried about that. I think that him and Will Stein, who uh, both talked on the in-house radio show with Joey Mack earlier today as the new hires, I think that they're both going to be fine in recruiting. Um, like Dan says all the time, it's all about relationships more than it is anything else. Um, with those, with the connections that Hampton has to the, to the Tulane area and to the South and Louisiana specifically, and that Stein has to Texas, I think Oregon's recruiting is going to be fine. Let's what's next for Oregon. Eric, you asked this question. I, I think there's one position group that's obvious. Um, if you want to chime in there or not, you can, but you asked Dan what's next for Oregon. It's and it's talent acquisition. It, it, it remains. Well, I, I think the one thing we have to talk about with losing Harbor, who is a great player in his own right, is, is also now the hole at the position that he would have been recruited to play, which is, which is tight end slash receiver. I've seen some people comment saying we're wrong and that he wasn't being recruited to play tight end based upon, I don't know what information, but everything I've heard from people that know more than those commenting in the comments tell me that that's wrong. Uh, but regardless, if, okay. And let's say hypoth hypothetically Harbor <laughs> was being recruited to play wide receiver, which apparently is, is what some are led to believe. They weren't addressing the tight end position anyway, but I, I think the, the the thing that stands out now is is just that they didn't land Harbor. They still only have three tight ends set on scholarship on this roster. The Deuce Robinson delaying his announcement, top tight end in the country. Notable that Oregon's involved there. Not saying at all that that's where it'll end up at. George is the team to beat there, and if anybody knows what George has done with tight end development over the last couple of years, you understand why that's going to be a tough school to contend with. But the, the, the very clear thing is Oregon needs to add a tight end. We've been saying this for a while. We thought Harbor was going to be a player that was added that did not take place. Uh, and, and now Oregon needs to find one. And we'll kind of wait and see what takes place. Could it be a Deuce Robinson? Maybe. Could it be something that happens in May? Maybe as well. And I think it was notable that Landing said, you know, we're not going to chase players just to chase players. But if there's a player out there that is capable of making our program better, then absolutely we're going to uh, – pursue that player and, and try to add him to this roster. So, and he, he also acknowledged, he thinks the roster is really well set right now. I and mean, he seemed very confident kind of what they've done this off season. Talked about that a couple of times. We'll have again, full quotes up on DuckTerritory.com later. Uh, we were recording this literally directly after his signing day press conference. And I think, by the way, a loosely used signing day, considering the one signee just they one had yeah. uh, was not in yet so we couldn't talk about it so it's really just a february press conference is, is is more likely what it was but yeah no they're they're open to adding more i wouldn't be surprised at all if, if they add more in in may and shoot who knows with the way things work they might add some player randomly in the middle of of march or you know tomorrow but um i certainly think that they have a a very clear need at tight end just from a depth perspective like i don't think any and just to, so it doesn't get misconstrued like no one's saying Terrence Ferguson is a good player. He had a great season at Oregon. They just don't have much behind him that's proven. And the players you're relying upon right now, 
is Patrick Herbert, whose injury history is is you know is is pretty iffy, and it's hard to know how much you can rely on him. I was intrigued and, and kind of encouraged by what I saw last year, but again, it's one season. And then Kenyon Sadiq, a true freshman, who to me again is is kind of more of a hybrid uh, player, and, and and a hybrid in a way that I guess if we want to go back to the point I made earlier about Harbor playing receiver slash tight end, like I saw Harbor in the same kind of cast of tight ends, but mm-hmm. also figure that's where he'll play collegially because that's what he's told everybody. Yeah, I want to the, – the Deuce Robinson stuff is interesting. He's not signing now because he wants to entertain the the prospect of going to the MLB draft and going through that process. Um, as the resident baseball guy in this podcast, I made a few texts or calls to people within the Oregon baseball program and saw, is this guy – is he is he worth the first-round talent that is seemingly the, the rumors of why Deuce is not signing today and is waiting until uh, June for the, the MLB draft? Um, you know, it's kind of up in the air. They think he's a polished player, but he's really – he might not be to that level of hype, to that first-round or second-round level. Um, in fact, someone told me that he should just sign to today because that's the best route for him. It's, it's, and it's a lot easier of a route for him to go through football because of how unicorn and unique he is on the football field. Um, while he is, he is a unicorn in that way for baseball too, cause he's six foot six, you don't see a lot of six foot six baseball players out there in general, but, um, and just his talent on the football field is, is more impressive than his talent on the baseball field. And that's saying a lot. Um, and for Oregon, I don't know if you can, you can really like hold your hopes on just, you know, waiting this long and, I think I think he said in an interview that his his plan is to to, to be drafted and then enroll as a walk on at a university. I don't know how that works. Um, I'm gonna leave that up to him eventually. But yeah, if you're Oregon, you can't put necessarily like you know hold your hat on it or hold your hope on it. But they still gotta address that. They still have to address the tight end and saying it for weeks now. Um, no harbor means that you really only have three guys. And yeah, I kind of floated the idea, Eric, about Harbor being a wide receiver too. Because I saw, I saw the comments that you saw. I watched all of his film because there was some good news potentially heading this way, but there was not. Um, I could see it as a wide receiver, but I think he'd be better off as a tight end. Realistically, he'd be the best as an outside linebacker. If he just wanted to add weight and give up his whole track dream, he'd be an absolute animal on the outside edge. But that's a different story. Um, it's also not a problem we get a fi- fix anymore because he is no longer going to the school we cover. So good luck yes. with him at South Carolina. Maybe who knows? Maybe in a year he'll be the next Jordan Birch down there. Correct. Yeah, I, I figure there's going to be another Oregon South Carolina trade off at one point uh, down the down the future. But yeah, I, tight ends a need uh, is a position to address. Um, I still think a maybe a linebacker would help. I know I know I know we didn't necessarily want to turn this into a position of needs podcast right now. Um, I just thought another thing was it was interesting that they took Roderick Pleasant because now Oregon has like 10 cornerbacks in their room who are all who, who most of them are already higher rated or, or have game experience or starters. So I think that was an interesting take in general. But I'm, I'd certainly you certainly don't turn a player like Roderick Pleasant away. That's for sure. They certainly can't put all their eggs in the basket with Deuce Robinson, but they have to try. They they Certainly. have to try yeah. they have to try and get him and they've got to do everything that they can to try and get him while also looking at the portal now um, because I don't think there's anyone just worth taking to take high school or, or JUCO 
that's still available right now. So it's going to be Portal or it's going to be Deuce Robinson. And we should know that if they add Deuce Robinson, um, that would put this class uh, all time as the, the best class in the Pac-12 with all commits, transfers, JUCO, and high school uh, for the fifth straight year. They have that accomplishment from a high school-only perspective, but USC is just a tick ahead from everybody perspective because of transfers. Now we should know mm -hmm. that USC has more transfer commits than Oregon does at this time. Um, but maybe someone opens up. Uh, I, I would also like what Jared brought up. They have 10 corners. Like, like, look, whether it's cornerback uh, receiver or defensive line, like I still think there's going to be some guys that are on this roster right now that are gone. And so they have to be. Yeah, yeah, they a they have to be because they're over the scholarship limit. But like, that's where position groups are going to come from. I I, I think the, these departures are going to come from, um, and it's just going to be a case of just who we 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 don't know how many. Um, we don't know who it will be exactly, but there's going to be guys that are on this team in the spring, which starts like mid spring, right after uh, Pac-12 tournament in uh, Vegas for basketball. Um, that won't be on the team May 15th. One thing on the ranking perspective I just thought of is I don't think Evan Williams and Connor Soul have been ranked yet by 24-7. They are not, and they are in the process. That's all that we know. And when they do get ranked, it's possible Oregon gets enough. Because you're right, Matt, it is really a pretty small margin there for Oregon and USC. I'm not, I haven't done the math because, of course, I don't know what the rankings will be for Williams and Soul, but... I think it could get kind of tight there. And then whatever happens after will ultimately decide that um, point. I thought another thing that was kind of notable that Dan said, one of the final things to kind of close the press conference was that it sounds like Adrian Clem isn't going anywhere. Um, Clem had been attached mm -hmm. to several New England Patriot open positions, um, one being the offensive coordinator position, which has been filled. And I don't know, had they filled an offense? Jared was, by the way, also a diehard Patriot fan. So he, he actually knows the roster, the coaching staff better than I. Did they ever hire an offensive line coach? Because that was the other position Clem was attached, like was rumored to be involved with, maybe. No, they haven't hired one yet. Okay. But according to Dan, it won't be Clem, because based upon what Dan had to say, it, said, it sounds like uh, Clem will be sticking around, which I think is – it's a significant win. Um, you know, I was, you know, I was, think, it was, it was uh, thinking about this kind of the last couple of days of kind of what do you make of all the different assistant coaches and what Clem has done in a year here, I think has been really impressive with what they got out of this offensive line last year. With, you know, the, I know it was a veteran group, but how well they played even with some injuries. I mean, I think it was notable that Oregon gave up five sacks all season when their day one right guard missed. 10 out of 13 games like that, that sort of sort of thing is impressive. And then what he's done as a recruiter with adding Josh Connerly, who again, number one rated offensive lineman in that cycle, this cycle, not quite the star power from a prep perspective, but we talked about what they've done in the portal with Cornelius, who by mm -hmm. the way, Lanning had some really nice things to say about him as well today during the press conference with um, Angela. So like, I, I think it's really significant to hold on to Clem. Um, because he's proven himself in, in basically every facet so far. And, and this will be the test, I guess, if you, if you want to have one of kind of what do you get from this offensive line now that there are, there is so much turnover, but <clears throat> I'll keep saying it. And I'm sure I'll say it all the way through spring until it becomes clear. It's not the case, or if it does, I, I really think highly of the talent that, that he's brought in for that room 
to be a cohesive unit this year. It's, it's not going to be without its growing pains probably, but I think you have to be really encouraged with that. And obviously with the news that Landing shared today that he's not going anywhere, that's that's a big one for, for the Ducks. Yeah, Oregon survived a massive bullet with this one because if there's a job that Clem would like absolutely consider and absolutely leave for, it would be the Patriots offensive line job. It's as simple as that. He won three Super Bowls in New England. He was the first ever draft pick from the Bill Belichick era. Um, that's I don't know if I would if that would be a dream job for him, but it certainly would sound like one. Um, but yeah, the fact that Clem is, is staying at Oregon, or at least you know Dan is is uh, insinuating that after this press conference, um, that's just a massive gain for Oregon. Um, I think he's a very talented recruiter. He's a very talented coach. Um, he showed off his recruiting prowess at UCLA for a while as well before heading to the NFL and being the Steelers offensive line coach. Um, and like Eric said, the talent he's assembled, it may not be like the star power talent that a Mario Cristobal offensive line was, um, but they were unbelievable last season. And you could see the development behind the scenes as guys like Marcus Harper joined the starting lineup and guys like Jackson Powers Johnson came in off the edge or, um, Josh Connerly in the 14J package and occasionally at the end of the games, there's still development going on there. And the transfer portal additions are going to be a huge help. Um, it'll be an interesting year just because this is, you know, most of the guys who are going to be playing offensive line next year aren't going to be a Mario Cristobal recruit, which is the first time that's happened in a long time, obviously. But, you know, like Eric does, I still have a lot of confidence in what Adrian Clem can do on the offensive line and what his, uh, what his diagnostics are and how he, how he teaches and, um, his just overall his development, and uh, I, I think Oregon is should be really happy that Adrian Clem is not leaving at this point because that was when that when when his name popped up for the OC hire um, potential OC hire that was as a Patriot fan I was confused, but you know that's a that's a great position for Clem to go and get. But it seemed like once it wasn't Clem as the OC and was interviewing for the offensive line coach, it felt. To me, it felt like he was good as gone because that's what the Patriots have been doing the last couple of years is just just hiring guys who had gone through the Patriots system. And so the fact that Clem is back, I think that's just massive for Oregon. I think that helps with their future development. I think that helps with their future recruiting. Um, I think the offensive line should be a strength as long as he's around. And we should note that, you know, in today's day and age where roster movement is ever-changing, coaching movement is also ever-changing. And – you know, Dan Lanning only had two guys from his staff um, depart, and both guys got job promotions. Clem would have been a job promotion, but I felt like Clem's departure would have been the toughest to replace, especially at the time that it happened um, when a lot of these jobs have kind of, you know, the coaching carousel has kind of closed a little bit. Um, Stein, yeah, Tillingham, big departure. It's going to hurt Oregon. You know, but they picked up Will Stein, prolific OC as well, ran really good offenses, good recruiter, a young guy. And then when Powledge left for Baylor to be their DC, you know, in steps Chris Hampton, a guy that looks like, you know, cut from the same cloth. Uh, Clem is established on the West Coast. He's established nationally. And I just felt like it would have been harder to replace him um, than the other two guys. And keeping him is big because, look, you, it, it's one thing to have roster turnover like Oregon does at the offensive line with four guys who started graduating. 
it's another thing having four starters gone and you have to bring in a new position coach. Like all those, it basically makes everybody a newcomer and you know, the familiarity that, that the guys that are, are back that they will bring to the table is, is pretty important here. Maybe the last order of business is just, we got a little bit of an update on some of the scholarship stuff with Soava Podi announcing on another podcast, not ours, which we would have had that, uh, that he was moving to a coaching role on Oregon's rather than a playing role. So he does not count towards the 85 anymore. <clears throat> um, notable because we've talked about before Oregon is over 90 and I, is it now nine? I can't remember. I, 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 I'm the worst at tracking. Is it 90 or 91 now after Pody is, is no longer included? It's back to 91. Okay. It's 91. Uh, they still have some work to do, but that's notable. And, and it was also kind of interesting. And I guess, I guess I understand like answer from Lanning's perspective, but he was asked if he's anticipating anyone else making a similar move to either a medical retirement, to a coaching move, to leaving the, you know, to just not being here for spring and Lanning, as he's kind of been known to do, just didn't answer the question in part because I think he wants the players to be the ones to to announce that information, right? Like, um, you know, I think that 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 to me was the, the the reason why he didn't. He might be aware of X, Y, or Z coming down the pike, but I don't think he wants to be the one. It's not maybe his place. He thinks to say so, but he he didn't dismiss the possibility that there could be more of that going forward. To which then led him to. I think he then kind of felt bad that he wasn't giving us information. To which he then credited us and said it's we were very nice yeah. he really the nicest things he said that we I, I, jared definitely include that in the transcript because we need we need people to know that dan doesn't hate i us. might i might keep that just for myself okay well, i just posted whoever your, watches the youtube video posted yeah put it on a, a whiteboard like gonna, page yeah. over your shoulder yeah, yeah exactly right here yeah i um to talk about Pody for a second i thought that was interesting um i know that that had kind of been not specifically moving to coaching but like maybe another workaround, a, a scholarship use I, from him. I, I'd I'd floated medical retirement with him and a couple yeah. of people because somebody else had mentioned that to me a, a week or two ago. But this is this is interesting. I mean, I kind of thought about it yesterday after I first heard about it, and it's like it's a, it's a pretty damn good start if you're if you're a kid who's graduated and you just immediately head into coaching at the University of Oregon under Dan Lanning, who's um, young enough and knows a ton of people across the country and has connections everywhere. Um, like if, if Suave is, if he's, if he's good at it, that could be an easy step up or uh, head into a position coach level at some point. Um, I think it's kind of a no brainer if you're him and you're kind of just like, maybe he's just kind of done with football. Maybe that's the case. Maybe he's, you know, he's graduated. He just, eh, maybe I'm kind of just kind of done here. Moving into an assistant role or a GA role just immediately like that at Oregon compared to like, I don't know, Middle Tennessee State. No disrespect, Middle mm -hmm. Tennessee State, but it's, that's a that's a really nice role for him to have. So I, well, I'm interested to see. Maybe we'll get to talk to him. Who yeah. knows? Maybe we can That'd request. Be fun. Yeah. It's like, hey, well, how are you doing? Yeah. Also, there's going to be a really interesting – coach player dynamic when he's when he's coaching guys who are a older than him have played more college right. football than him and he was yeah. just teammates with who he was looking up at on the depth chart like I, the, some of the dynamic there is just kind of interesting and I, i'm not saying that i don't think oregon has the egos on the defensive line at least i'm no, not aware yeah. of it, where they're going to be like shut up suave you were you were my <laughs> you were my third you were my third team backup at, at you know as as the whatever position i was we were playing i don't think that's happening but it is sort of an ideal where you've got a guy who really didn't have much of a, a playing role now 
in, in theory involved in coaching his peers. I, cool, cool. I think probably a great opportunity for him, though, as, as Jared said. Yeah, it just gets him into the door, and he'll learn to do cut-ups. He'll, he'll learn to, to do scattering reports and self-scouts and, and all of that, which is important. And I, I would be surprised if he's um, doing a lot of on-field coaching, more so of like being like the assistant um, to, to Tony Tuioti and you know the defensive staff and doing some behind-the-scenes type work um, that a lot of these guys have done. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, we really appreciate you guys uh, liking the show on YouTube, following the show on, on the podcast format as well, and listening and going to reading our coverage on DuckTerritory.com. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and it's still Wednesday, you still have an opportunity to get 60% off um, an annual subscri- subscription to DuckTerritory.com. I uh, highly encourage you guys to consider that. And if you do, we really appreciate you uh, signing up or being a current member already. Until the next one, which will be on Friday, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> 9 over 8. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.